How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. I tell you, I, I think that if this gets longer and longer every week, one day... We're just going to have that for the entire show, Mark. <laughs> I think you've said that before. Have I? Maybe. Maybe. What's our show about tonight? Oh, tonight is an incredible show. Tonight, tonight's amazing. We are we're talking about a group of young people in recovery, but who have also gone to jail, come out of jail, are writing about it, are writers. It's based on a documentary that has been put together uh, called In Their Shoes, Unheard Stories of Reentry and Recovery. So and they're going to be open books. We're going we're gonna to really get into some stories. Well, I think I, what, what I hope is that they are... I mean, I think that their, their whole mission is to share their experience in a very similar way that Drug Story Theater exactly, is. Exactly, that's what I was thinking. Right? So it's peer-to-peer, but I'm not going to preempt them. I'm going to wait for them to come in, but we have uh, two of the, the guys that were in the documentary, Shelby Cannon, who, who created it, and um, Stephen Smith, who's also going to be coming in. But I I want to get to that, but I want to just share something. Okay. Let's do just, it. Let's share. Okay. Because I have some mixed feelings. I have some sadness and joy today. Okay. Because today was my last day mm. at High Point Treatment Center after 11 years. Congratulations. After 11 years. Yeah. And, you know, we, uh, I went over to High Point, uh, which, as you know, folks may or may not know, is, is a very large treatment uh, facility on the South Shore of Massachusetts, specifically focusing on addiction. Uh, and then we've been, you know, part of why I was there also is to, just to grow there their mental health component. But back in 2008, uh, I was approached by Dan Mumbauer and Fran Markle, the president and CEO, who was Dan and the vice president, Fran, and they said, we just got this big grant from Department of Public Health to build an adolescent short-term residential program. So we have the money, we have the building, will you come and design the program? And so I did, and we created CASEL. Clean and Sober Teens Living Empowered. That acronym was by Carol Kowalski. I think it's one of the best acronyms ever. And we worked with kids, uh, teenagers, um, many of whom, you know, were addicted to heroin, alcohol, benzodiazepines, weed, nicotine. Um, and it was one of the greatest honors of my life. And I just talking about it, I'm getting kind of choked up because it was humbling to be working with these folks in their time of need. And now you're not. No, now I'm not. So I just wanted to, you know, publicly thank everybody who helped me with that, um, but also to, to thank all of those kids for teaching me what it really means to go through what they go through and how 
how honored I am that they would trust me with that. Because mm. that's, that's what Castle was built on. The whole idea was this. If we can just remind a kid of their value, we can rekindle their commitment to being part of a community. Because all drugs and alcohol force the brain to make dopamine. And dopamine is a very selfish chemical that basically over time isolates you from the rest of the world by interfering with another chemical called oxytocin, not oxycontin, oxytocin, the neurohormone of trust, the chemical that's released when somebody says you're amazing. And that's why I'm so excited to have our guests in today because they have also battled this and they're winning. And I can't wait for them to come in and share their experience about what this was like for them. Yeah. That, that takes enormous courage. And that's also what drugs free theater is, right? So drugs free theater are these kids with enormous courage who are willing to share their stories in a play that they create based on their experience in front of now over 40,000 kids in Massachusetts. How wow. cool is that? So great. And that's something that we're going to be so launching. So you have big soon, news. Right? You have big news about drug story theater too, right? You found a distribution outlet. We are creating a distribution outlet. Yes, because we have a video of one of our shows. It's called Second Chances. It's targeting sixth graders and middle schoolers. And I have a goal, which I am willing to Let's put out it. there publicly. Let's hear your goal, buddy. Yes. Last name is Shrand. A little bit Shrandios, it's true. It's not Shrandios. All right, this thank you, Mark. Definitely it's going to happen. I want this video in front of every single sixth grader and their parents in the United States. Let's do it. That's what we're going to do. Let's do it. Mark's going to be part of that. Tom's going to be part of that. We are going to do this. Because what we want to do is prevent the next opioid crisis. Right. And the slogan of Drug Story Theater, the treatment of one becomes prevention of many. That's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. That's going to be cool. So how are we going to do that? So community type of events, PTOs, any organization that wants to bring this to their community has an opportunity to bring it to their community. That's right. For a viewing. That's right. And an education. And an education. And Prevention. Proactivity, that's not it. reactivity. That's right? right. Exactly. And why not? Because what we're really teaching is we're teaching kids about their amazing brains. Why would you want to give that away to drugs and alcohol? Right. One of the things that we say is don't let anybody ever tell you, look what, look what you've lost. Look what you lost by using. Look what you lost to drugs and alcohol. You didn't lose anything. You gave it away. That's right. And you can take it back. But for the kids... We just want them just to wait. Your brain is developing. It is at high risk. Just wait until your brain is a little older. Because this isn't whether you're a good kid or a bad kid. This isn't something that is sort of always thrust upon you. It's not about morality. It's about mortality. It's just the way your brain works. So, so let's talk about that first, just a second. Okay. So brain development, yep. right? I mean, 18 years old, your brain is not fully developed yet, right? No. And so my 14 wife, years old, it's probably wife, less. My wife would say the mind isn't fully developed. Right. But that's a but, joke, sorry. But with real science, with real, real science, biology, real science. where is 
the brain development? Okay. Where, where do we go? How does how, What is the cycle? So, of let, so let me try to explain it. Again, and this is the biological domain of the I am, right? The I am current maximum potential. We're always changing and adapting. So I believe, and science shows, that your brain develops and matures following evolution, right? So the first part of the brain that is ready to go at birth is the brain stem. It is the bottom part of the brain that's connected directly to your spinal cord, and it is responsible for all the automatic things, breathing, heart rate, things like that. What happens to kids who are born without functioning brain stems? They die, right, because they can't breathe. The brain stem is this critical part. So that part is ready to go at birth, and it's called myelination. We measure maturity of the brain by myelination. It's this fancy word. Imagine the brain is full of all these neurons which are basically electrical wires and they need an insulation around them to transmit their electricity from one part to the other. The more of that wire you have, the more insulation that you need, right? So the insulation is there in the brainstem, but it is not there actually that much in the motor cortex, which is right at the top of your brain. So if You've seen babies, mm -hmm. right? So they're squiggling around, but they're not slam dunking basketballs because the motor cortex, which is at the very top of your brain, is not fully myelinated, takes longer. The next part of the brain that we evolved was the limbic system. It is this ancient part of the brain. It wraps around the brain stem. It is responsible for impulses, for emotions, for irrational thought, for memory and it happens to be where addictions live. And the brain matures from the bottom up, right? So you've got the limbic system that is getting more mature as you grow older, but on top of that is this huge part of the brain, the new brain, neo, new cortex brain, our neocortex, this remarkable part of the brain that has so many functions, but right at the front of them is the frontal lobe and the prefrontal cortex. You put your hand on your forehead right behind there, the prefrontal cortex responsible for thinking, for rational thought, for solving problems, executing a plan, and anticipating what will happen next. The brain matures from the bottom up. So teenage brains, the limbic system, is more in control of your brain than the prefrontal cortex. So let's, let's just... Talk about chronology, though. Like, what age are we talking about? So, you know, you've got a 14-year-old, you've got an 18-year-old, you've got a 21-year-old, you've got a 25-year-old. Yep. Where are we in brain development? So, by the age of 21 to 25, but 21, your prefrontal cortex is now much more myelinated. It is beginning to take over. You're beginning to think about the future, begin to think about what will happen next. But until then... Your limbic system is really, really running your brain. It is about an impulsive thing. We've all been teenagers. How many times have we done things impulsively and slapped our forehead? Going, what was I thinking? As if you're trying to jumpstart your prefrontal cortex. Hmm. So that's the brain. That limbic brain is the teenage brain. And that's why if you start using drugs or alcohol after the age of 21, one out of 25 people at risk for lifelong addiction you start using before the age of 18, that number goes from 1 in 25 to 1 in 4. Wow. It's a wow number. 1 in 3 if you're using opioids. So welcome. Who should we start with? Cheryl. 
Cheryl pointed over at the other guys, <laughs> and of course, I said, Cheryl. Yeah. Cheryl Buchanan, welcome. Is that yeah. how to pronounce your last name? Yes. I got you. it right? So, we got Cheryl. Do you want to introduce the other two guys? Absolutely. Thank you. So, we've got Zachary Paul and Stephen Carvalaro here, my um, co-stars, I suppose, <laughs> yeah. in the documentary. So, tell us, the co-stars in the documentary, tell us about the documentary. Let's go. Let's Thank ju you. jump right in. Well, they're also my colleagues, but we can get back to that. Um, the documentary began in October of 2017, and the incentive was to show and um, really get inside the lives of folks coming out of prison in reentry for the first year of their lives while they were also in addiction recovery. Wow. And our connection was that they were both in a writing workshop with me, with Writers Without Margins, and um, we had really gotten to know each other, and I felt like I was sort of a insider witness to what was going on in their lives, and I felt that that was a real privilege to have that kind of trust and that kind of relationship, and there was an opportunity for others to actually, potentially, if they would trust me um, to kind of be the mediator um, rather than the storyteller, to share that you know, to a wider audience, and, and that's what we embarked upon, having no idea what that year would really look like. So, so were you guys out of incarceration by that time yes and i'm going to just throw this out there what preparation did they give you coming out of incarceration you for the take world this one first or do you want me to <laughs> feel free please do so and, and this is zach right yeah this Dad. is zach yep yeah, um, okay. so this time around was my second time released from prison and i mean the first time going through there was really no preparation for release i did the 90 day um kind of parole reentry program but it was they let you go home like a couple times after the last 30 days they let you do like an overnight um at home but it that was really it it wasn't like there was any programs really helping you kind of reintegrate back into society um i ended up you know relapsing ended up back in prison for a year and then got out and re-paroled into this six-month program and it kind of you know helped me build structure you know, gave me kind of time to, you know, get things in order and stuff like that. But in prison, there wasn't much, you know, programming to help. I mean, there's they have some programs in there, but they don't really focus on the right things, I don't think. So, mm. so, so you weren't in prison for using drugs. I mean, there were, no. what were you in prison actually for? So the charges I, I was convicted for was um, armed robbery and kidnapping, okay. which is I, I robbed, you know, um, a, a store I used to work for a couple of times because I knew how, you know, the whole area was and everything yeah. and eventually caught up with me. Um, and the kind of funny thing is, like, I mean, my, yeah, my I technically wasn't charged with crimes related to drugs, but obviously the reason I was committing those drugs crimes was because of drugs uh, yeah and my first time through the you know the prison system that first two years when i tried to take any you know drug related programs to help myself they wouldn't allow me in them because my crimes weren't drug related Ugh. and it just and then Ooh. that second time parole made it a stipulation to take those programs so Got it was it. like maybe if you let me do it the first time right. might have had more of a chance so that's so because the crimes were not drug-related, you couldn't take... Can't check the box, can't move on, right? There's a form that's got to be filled out. Yeah, pretty you much. Know? Yeah. Stephen, what about you? What do you think about this? 
preparation? There, in my situation and from my experience, there's really no preparation coming out of prison. You have no idea what to expect. Still to this day, this day, 2019 to 18, I mean, you know, the Come on, really? The theory is when you first go in, it's like you do the crime and you do the time. Yeah. But you have no idea what's in store for you once you're once you're released back out in the real world and the struggles that inevitably follow that release. Um See, there's my ignorance right there. I thought in the last five to ten years we have come a long way in helping integrate back into society and eliminate the recidivism 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 is that the right, right word sounds about right it's, that's a good that's a good word but is that i mean tim cruz our da may say so but here's here are these right. guys are living it is proof what, positive what do you think i mean yeah yes no no, I, no so you don't. just went they open the door just like in the movies they open the door here you go good luck Shawshank redemption yeah. yeah i mean you know there are there are resources available um to those who really strive for them and they are limited so again it's it, here you have like a demand and then you have a certain number of beds and you know um the demand surpasses the availability yeah. and you have people that really want to find a better way of life and to do something different but have no means to do so but now you have yes. so what changed what changed so one of the things that we talk about here is, is the i am approach the i am is saying we're all doing the best we can this is our current masculine potential this is who i am and i matter influenced by four things your home domain the social domain biological domain of your brain and body and the ic how i see myself how I think other people see me. So there you are in the social domain of prison, and now you come back out. What happened? How did how did this woman sitting next to you have an influence on what's going on with you now? It's an it's an incredible story. Um, I mean, quite honestly, there's so many times in my past that I've wanted to move forward to like change my life for the better, um, and. It really comes down to people just didn't believe in me. And that was until I found Writers Without Margins and Cheryl Buchanan and and everyone else that was really involved with this film. They came in, um, Cheryl came in as a facilitator for a creative writing workshop that focuses on expressive writing. And, um, you know, I kind of jumped right in. I, I was hesitant, like I, I, I you know, I, I observed from a distance, but I was involved right along. And when the opportunity for the documentary came along to tell my story and to show who I really was, who I truly was, my inner self, um, that's when my life started transforming. And, um, you know, the last two years of my life, I've accomplished more, um, than I mean probably double what I have in my entire life so wow. that that really speaks volumes I, I gotta tell you I got goosebumps when you said you know believed in me because that that is so it that is exactly what it is because as human beings we all want the same thing we want to just feel valued by someone just think about every person you've ever met in your life they all want the same thing. They want to feel valued. And what's cool is that every and any moment in time, you can remind someone of their value. Yes. And whenever you remind someone of their value, you increase your own value. So that's what you've done, Cheryl. That's what you've done. For the, what's that like for you? Well, you know, it's 
It's a little overwhelming to see how in these programs, how that is the commonality. I mean, there's a lot of stereotypes, right, about who goes to prison. And I also, I do think that, you know, whether something happens in somebody's early childhood or whether, you know, something doesn't happen, you know, throughout their life, what I'm, what I see over and over is one of the hardest writing prompts. And it's interesting because Zach now assistant facilitates with me cool. and he sees it and, and Stephen now does communications and programming with me. So he comes to lots of workshops, <laughs> but you know, what we see in, in the participants over and over is one of the hardest assignments is write your bio. Because when you've been labeled over and over as, you know, mentally ill or a criminal or an addict, you know, there, there's something to be said for, for figuring out what the problem is and then solving it. But you ask them to write the bio and they will really struggle with saying positive things about themselves hmm. and believing in, in anything beyond, you know, some of these ways that they've been sort of trapped in, a, in an identity that was handed to them over... I don't walk into a room and announce the worst thing I've ever been called. But, you know, I think in the writing workshops we see that. So I don't think what I'm trying to do is even profound. It's just that it's probably a first and it's happening, you know, in a, in a really critical time. It is a critical time. And it is, it is so important that we, that we don't judge each other. You know, I, I get to say I'm a psychiatrist, not a judge. But you guys have been in front of judges. And that is part of their job. That's what they have to do, right? There's, there are rules and there's a natural consequence for everything we do. But that doesn't mean it should define you as who you are. Right? Am I missing something here? But that's exactly what happens. You know, it's exactly what happens. I'd say in the vast majority of cases. It certainly was in my case. I mean, I was defined by the mistakes that I've made. What was the definition? criminal, worthless, doesn't stand a chance. I mean, And so when did you start, when did you first enter the court system? Um, at an early age, um, I went into the Department of Youth Services yeah. at 14 years old. Mm. And, you know, I, I was defiant. You know, I fought back a little. And two years later, I was released at 17 years old. And... I hadn't, you know, I wasn't afforded any opportunities. I got out just as if nothing's changed. Like, it, it was the day I went in, and um, and that was really so a So there wasn't moment. anything happening at that critical time, 14 to 17, within the system, TYS, the mm -hmm. system, right, that was helping better you and make you see other opportunities and try to open your horizons to things? You know... I'm sure if you were to look at the daily, you know, um, schedule, it was it was structured. There yeah. were classes available. There was counseling available. N not a single thing penetrated for me and for many of the people. And I do speak for many of the people just because, one, they can't be here speaking for right. themselves. And two, because I knew them on a very personal, intimate level. And... There just wasn't enough being offered. There wasn't enough guidance being handed out. There wasn't enough people believing in, in, the, oper in the potential of the kids that were there. How yeah. did they treat you? Yeah. Um, I mean, were they showing you value in that critical time? No. No, in fact, I mean, it, 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 the way they treated us wasn't much different than I got treated as an adult wow. after being released Jeez. from prison. Let's... 
get right into the writing part. Mm -hmm. All right. So, so Cheryl, you created the writing. It's called. Give it to me again. I'm sorry. It's the the nonprofit yeah. Writers Without Margins. Writers yeah. Without Margins. What a wonderful image. Where did that idea come from? You know, my background, my professional background, was working with adult survivors of child abuse, specifically child molestation, mm. and I was recognizing <clears throat> well two things one the trajectory of early childhood trauma and how it was it led too many folks to um criminal histories to problems with authority to uh just you know all all of the the wide spectrum of you know eating disorders and problems with intimacy and just all the ways that that could take someone into you know adult issues that were never you know intervenes with intervent intervened with or dealt with but I also recognize that as much as the litigation was helpful from a public policy standpoint or an individual standpoint there was something happening with the silence breaking and the solidarity that felt a lot like a writing workshop because mm -hmm. I'd experienced both academically and then when I went back to school to get an MFA I thought you know this is something I have access to but what about all the folks who perhaps dealt with trauma that didn't have access to this and why not it's so low resource so I started working at the St. Francis house and then when there were additional requests I said this could be a broader bigger organization and mm. that's what we did and this was this predated ACEs right the adverse childhood experience data or was it right around the same time you as know that? I'd never heard of it but once yeah. I saw that I was like oh it's a real thing right it's, it's not just my thing. observation no, it's a real thing yeah. we, we had uh, Ed Jacobs on who's a a guy who's a specialist in ACEs. We, we we have another guest here who we just haven't had an opportunity to introduce yet. Come on in. The wonderful Mr. Stephen Smith. Can we say your last sure, name Stephen as well? Sure, Stephen Kennedy Smith or Stephen Smith. Which fine. one would you prefer? Whichever, whichever one <laughs> you like is Welcome. fine with me. Well, are you okay? What's going I on? Am. I did. I had a little uh, regenerative medicine procedure done on my knee in Germany, actually. Whoa. But, um, I'm good. I'm good to go. I'm an ex-athlete, so I like to... Uh, you know, have my knees in good shape. Absolutely. Yeah. Welcome. So Thanks. We, we have been just sure. sort of absorbing, you know, uh, the amazing work you guys are doing and the message that you're trying to get across. And you and I had a chance to meet where I think it was up in Lowell. Correct. Uh, yeah. A few months ago. Sure. So tell us yeah, your so, part um, of this. So I did, uh, so I'm the uh, board chair of this organization. Um, and I really believe, um, so I did this book, uh, JFK, A Vision for America, about President Kennedy a couple of years ago for the 100th anniversary of President Kennedy's birth. And, of course, he conceived of the National Endowment uh, for the Arts and Humanities because he thought that um, art was vital to a healthy democracy and, and the, uh, that art had the ability to... Um, drawn human capabilities and imagination and aspects of the human person that were essential to a, a vital flourishing society and so I think this work that Writers Without Margins is doing um, is very connected to that you know to that purpose of actually enabling people to connect around things that really mean something to them making people visible to each other creating community and building a deeper understanding of the human spirit, which is, of course, what President Kennedy said, that in the final analysis, we would be remembered not by our victories in battle, but 
by our contribution to the human spirit. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what this organization does. It, it enables people who are voiceless to have a voice. It enables people who don't understand the problems that these communities have to understand these problems. And so that's why I believe in this work so deeply. And of course, you being a psychiatrist know that the data speaks to the reality of, of, of the fact that this works Absolutely. for a number of behavioral health issues. And not only that, but for a healthier democracy and a healthier citizenship. So I'm really grateful for your voice on this issue and for giving us the opportunity to come here and, um, you know, let people know what we're doing. Well, I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm telling you, we, we have a, a, a wide range of people who listen, and they're listening because they really believe in value and in that let's get rid of this stigma thing. I mean, if we keep having stigma, we shouldn't be surprised that people aren't going to come out and tell us their stories. Why should they come out and tell us their stories if they think they're going to be judged? So that's why I'm so delighted that you're here as well. Thanks a lot. And, you know, Maura Healy, who's the Attorney General, came to the Kennedy Library, which I'm on the board of, and what she told me was that um, almost 80% of the people in the mass prison system at some point had contact with foster care. That's an astounding statistic. So wow. basically, what we're dealing with is people who have unstable childhood, um, you know, unstable childhoods who develop um, behavioral health issues because of that instability and sometimes substance abuse issues. And then that behavior is criminalized. And right. then we have a prison population that's largely um, stigmatized and then pushed outside of the mainstream of society instead of trying to bring people in instead of trying to heal people we're basically using the prison system as a, a punishment tool for people who haven't had the opportunity in life to succeed so I don't think people do that deliberately it's just it's the mechanism that we have so we need to um, have these other opportunities like Writers Without Margins and like alternative sentencing and like, you know, drug courts and so forth where people can get back into society and not be stigmatized. Right. Well, I, I think, you know, our human brain, unfortunately, is designed to compare sets of information. And mm -hmm. so if we have a group of people who are doing everything that we think they should do and compare them to a group of people who are not, it's very easy for us to say, you know, we don't want you part of our group, so we're going to put you somewhere else. Mm -hmm. That's why I personally don't use the word like disorder. Mm -hmm. You know, I never will use depressive disorder, attention deficit disorder, substance abuse disorder. Because as soon as you have a disorder, you've created two groups. One group that's disordered and one group that isn't. And then we're astonished we have stigma. <laughs> you know, these words, these little words are so important. So... So can I just say one thing personally Please. about our family, which everyone knows, is that there's people in our family who've had substance abuse issues in the Kennedy family. So if you look at our family, we had two traumatic, violent events. Um, three of Robert F. Kennedy's children had substance abuse issues after his assassination. Mm. Some of their children had substance abuse issues because they were affected by that traumatic violence. So no one is immune to this to this issue. It doesn't matter whether you're privileged or not. Um, it's not a, you know, it's not a, it's a question of human life and what people go through. And it, of course, in some communities, there's a lot more violence. There's a lot more trauma. There's a lot more unsafety. So in those communities, we have more, more people who are affected. Absolutely true. 
and we can do something about it. Absolutely. And that's what you're doing about it. That's the thing. So, so tell me the mission. What, what is the mission that you have? What are you trying to do? Well, I think we're, we're trying to do a few things, and, and the title speaks to the writers without margins because, well, first of all, we're trying to um, not just necessarily include people in but change the space itself. And I'd rather, you know, I feel like I've talked a lot, so I kind of want to hear from Zach and Stephen about their experience within that space and, and altering the, the confines it, themselves. And I, <laughs> I really appreciate what, what Stephen Kennedy Smith is saying about, about violence and trauma leading to, you know, responses to that in the form of, of substance abuse. Um, but I, I also want to make sure that we don't skip over the fact that, you know, there, there's people that are struggling or suffering or dealing with that and also um, as a society how we treat the people who are dealing with it because there is um, sort of a, a dichotomy on the treat the way we respond to folks because resources have a lot to do with that too I mean there's there's the punishment which you brought up and then there's the punishment on top of the punishment which is what about housing what about jobs what about and that's multi-layered too and I think that's a really big part of recidivism so I Kind of, I gave you a really long, no, no, complicated no. answer, but I want to. I want to let Zach and Stephen maybe I, I, respond I do, to that. I just want to add one thing that I don't want to just always be blaming families as well and homes, because yeah. it's not just the family that you come out of. One of the things that we are facing today is bullying, and it is pervasive and it's happening. And we know that one of the greatest risk factors for first-time substance use is low self-esteem low self-esteem so you can come from the most affluent families Stephen is saying but that doesn't always immunize you it's not an immunization so yeah I want to hear from these guys too so we've got Zach yes that's it I just want to say <laughs> we got Zach <laughs> go ahead Tell, so so what's this experience been like for you Rise Pat Mars what's it doing for you so for me like um, it started at the um, recovery center I was at the you know the six-month program first writers group you know I didn't I wasn't a writer in school or anything I didn't like English class I mean I pretty much got D's and F's in English all my life um, and I but I when I started writing in there just basically I started off with just kind of writing my own story just certain things basically like a memoir type thing and it just it kind of found something that kind of helped me kind of remember things but also and kind of focus you know like focus on things and remember things and kind of learn learn from those experiences by writing them down and then being like oh I could have done this different or you know that and then it just kind of turned into um, something that I basically use in my own recovery program is just writing just you know find it's kind of a way I've used to to clear my head and writers without margins gave me that opportunity you know just writing stuff and them typing it up for me and seeing it like typed up and and was just cool to see just at the beginning and then eventually and some of my writing ended up in the journal that we do and then you know having like my writing published when I'd ever even hmm. considered myself ever becoming any type of writer something that was really almost empowering kind of and then now being on the other o side wait, of it, wait, almost empowering yeah. I, yeah I try yeah. Not to be too <laughs> no it's empowering because yeah, people recognize your value definitely. right so yeah. a, a quick question though yeah. As you're writing, you said that, that more memories come forth. Was, so was that part of the experience as you're writing and you remember more and more and more? Yeah, it, almost like, you know, I would be 
writing about like a kind of a memory that's like a big memory and then all the little memories around that memory yeah. started coming up and I write those too and just it just brought back a lot of memories some I mean some good some bad but just seeing it all kind of on paper and just going back to it is just I mean it was it was almost therapeutic for me just you know kind of dealing with it in a certain way I guess so I'm sorry Zach there's that word almost again <laughs> <laughs> Therapeutic. Yeah, it was definitely therapeutic. Do, so. do you, uh, off the top of your head, can you remember anything? Is there anything that you want to just sort of spit out here and just some piece of something? <laughs> Stephen is not. I have to come back yet. to that so I can mm. think think of one. But I, okay, I'm sure there's definitely something that I can. I would love about, yeah. love to. What about you, Stephen? Yeah. Do you have something? Um, pops into your head that you've written? Well, no, but I, you know, I I really think the question that you asked Zach was was really interesting how has this experience affected us or affected you as an individual and um and i want to touch on that because Please. this experience has been profound and transforming hmm. transformative um you know writers without margins came into my life and presented an opportunity through the documentary to tell my story and for the first time in my life, people believed in me. <laughs> people believed in me, they supported me, they cared about me, they loved me, and they weren't willing to just give up on me. And, um... <laughs> How long did it take you to accept that and believe that? I'm still, I'm still doing it. I'm <laughs> still in the process. I mean, it's not easy and things don't happen overnight, but, um... But yeah, this opportunity that has presented itself has given me something to kind of believe in myself mm -hmm. about. And it's given me something to believe in and given me purpose and motivation and has really inspired me and taught me things. And um, I mean, completely uplifting. And I will say that without writers without margins coming into my life, I don't know where I would be. Mm -hmm. But given the last um, 10 years of my life and the history that has repetitively, you know, um, replayed itself, I, I'd probably say it's not in a good situation and here mm. I am today sitting before you and amongst you and it's kind of a blessing and you know amazing to even be here right now and to be doing this and I mean I'm just so grateful and that's why I really felt so the need Stevens to touch on that. So Stevens in Harvard Extension School right? I seem <laughs> to be a Harvard grad. Well yeah, yeah and that's How pretty cool amazing that's one of the that? things that's one of the things that like I've been able to actually allow myself to do is you know go to school i've always wanted to and it wasn't until i don't know a year ago that i actually had enough courage and enough stability in my life to actually do that right and sometimes it's just a small change that has a huge effect right. small change can so let's talk effect. to zach again yeah let's bring zach back in and you yeah. know what small change has this walking into writers without margins done for you all right, so I'll read a little um, excerpt from what's becoming my memoir. I titled it The Dope Sick Diaries. Mm, okay. um, so this is a kind of, I'll skip around a part of a paragraph here. Um, so it starts off with being in that holding cell all morning, sitting, standing, sitting on the dirty floor was borderline torture. Not to mention the communal toilet right in the middle for everyone to use. By the time lunch came around, 
plain ham or tuna sub with a bottle of water I had thrown up two or three times. I would have been happy if someone came down and ended my life. A little while after lunch, a public defender came to talk to me and get my basic information. I asked him if he could see my parents were there, and he went on his way. He came back an hour or so later and let me know that my parents were there and that the district attorney was still asking for $50,000 bail. Around 4.30 p.m., I was finally called up to the courtroom, handcuffed and shackled. As I was escorted in, shackles clanging. The DA described their side of the case and the way everything was said and how I was portrayed, you would have thought I committed a murder. Hmm. And, you know, thinking back on that memory, like, at that time, I remember how just, I mean, dope sick I was because I was, I mean, you know, I had been on basically... I don't know, a two-year run for the most part. I mean, I had gone to detox a couple of times and gotten clean, you know, but never more for a couple of weeks. Um, and just, you know, felt awful. And this, you know, when I was reading that or writing that, um, you know, I thought I'm never want to put myself in that position again. And that's just never want to be, you know, in one of those holding cells in the bottom of, you know, the courthouse or anything like that and that's part of what kind of I use as motivation to make sure that I don't end up there again and I you know I oh, you always hear people say like I'll never use again and I I mean I can't say that because I've said that before and it didn't work mm-hmm. so now I just say I don't ever want to use again and I'm going to make sure that I do everything in my power to make sure that that doesn't happen so how do you think being valued um, will help in that with not having to use again just Knowing that, you know, my story has some value and can hopefully, you know, make a difference in even if it's just one other person's life that I mean, that's that's progress. And that's kind of what I use for motivation to just keep, you know, my story out there, keep just be 100 percent open about everything that I do in my life now, have done in my life and try to relate to people and see that, you know, you can succeed even though going through being at your basically your complete worst you can still turn it around and get back you know the life that you want so yeah and and one of the things that i say to folks who are in recovery or using is don't let anybody tell you you know what drugs and alcohol took what you lost you gave it away yeah and you can take it back and that's what you guys are doing you're taking it back and how cool is that Stephen what about you you got something that you want to read or well I'm watching the clock and um, and I don't want to take up too much time on my piece if I can read the second paragraph yes please that would be important to me Um, I will say that for my whole life I didn't realize how affected I was by my childhood and, you know, through my experience throughout adolescence. Um, And sitting in the workshop that I wrote this poem in, of the Writers Without Margins workshop, um, it really came back to, like, my my innate, like, my deepest desires, like, and, um, and it really just goes like this. I'll read it. The heart only wants to wake up in the morning to children laughing and playing with smeared ketchup still on their faces from the morning's omelet. It wants to remember the beaming smiles and eager movements as the kids rip open their presents from Santa on Christmas morning. It wants to embrace the love of your life and reminisce as the crickets chirp underneath a star-filled sky 
Most of all, it wants to know that the time, sweat, and tears spent were a small sacrifice for the family you love and the life you got to enjoy. Mm. Wow. It's wonderful. It's, it's just it's just such a gift that you have for all of us and that, that you have, Cheryl, and been able to create a venue where people can come, no judgment zone, where they just know they're going to be valued. That, that is amazing. It is something that we can do for each other all the time. If we only recognize how easy it is to do to remind someone of their value. Two rules from the IM. Small changes have big effects. I want to ask you guys, what small change can you recommend to our listening audience that they can make? That perhaps something that maybe you would have liked to do or want to do? What small change? What small change? Um... Small change for me that I, I definitely wish I started doing earlier um, that I try to do now as really as often as I can is maybe to some people might not end up being a small change, but writing every day or journaling or something like that, just using it as a way to get stuff off your mind. I mean, that's what I do. If something's bothering me or, you know, whatever whatever you want to call it, you know, I just, I'll write, write down, write about it, and that just gets it off my mind and even if it's, it's no one else is ever going to read it but at least you know it, it got out of me somehow so so it's something that was expressive would it be fair to say that if words aren't your thing some form of expression yeah definitely fair yeah. enough fair small enough. change definitely. do something expressive every day love it definitely see what do you think yeah um i'll say this who i was who i am and who I will be are three completely different people. Yeah, amen. So mm -hmm. the one thing, if I could pass on to your listeners, is don't judge based on where someone's been or what they once did. Judge them on who they are today. Definitely. Yeah. Cheryl, small change? Big small advice? change. Um, I think we're talking about the expression element, so I think the, the counter concept, I think, is listening. So we want to express, and we also, I, we, I, I say we a lot yeah. when I mean me. <laughs> um, I want to make sure that I listen. Yeah. Yeah. Steven Smith, Kennedy, Kennedy, Smith, Kennedy, Smith, Kennedy. Well, I'm, I'll go back to RFK, who said that if, if one person strikes out against injustice or stands up for an ideal, he sends forth a tiny ripple of hope. And mm -hmm. I think in such a divided nation in which we are, you know, the role that you're playing, the role that Cheryl's playing, a building community, respecting people's dignity, and trying to understand what we all have in common is more important than ever, and we can all do that regardless of what party we come from. So I think that's the message that this organization represents. Yeah, I agree. So agree. And that is the second rule, which you just articulated the I am. You control no one. You influence everyone. You get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. And I commend the influence that you have on people. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much thank for being you. here tonight. Thank you for thank having you for us. Sure. Yeah, Love it. Rise up the margin. Thank you for having and us. The, and how did, how did I get to see the show? Oh, we're going to be um, we're gonna be at Quincy College on January 30th. Okay. Sorry? 
it's good. Oh, it's good. and the website. The Go website. to the website. We have our events calendar on the website, writerswithoutmergence.org and intheirshoesfilm.com. And we will be at locally at Quincy College on January 30th at 6.30 p.m. We will be touring locally and have distribution soon. Okay, guys, check it out. Good night, everyone. Thanks, Happy holidays. Good night, everybody. Happy holidays.